coming up. You know, these people lost these loved ones who were doing nothing wrong. They were just going about their lives, playing in a in a, an apartment parking lot, looking at a new truck. It was chaos. And, and people, it was surreal. People could not believe this was happening in Kalamazoo, Michigan. For Vault Studios, I'm Will Johnson. You're listening to The Daily Crime. It was just five years ago this month that a deadly shooting spree terrified residents in and around Kalamazoo, Michigan. I'm joined by Juliet Dragos, the weeknight anchor at WZZM 13 in Grand Rapids. Juliet, you've been covering news in the area for almost 30 years, but this series of attacks over the course of many hours that night must account for you. Well, it is one of those events in your life that you remember exactly where you were when you found out about it. And for us, Because the crime spree had gone on for hours, we found out about it after midnight. So we got, my phone started ringing in the middle of the night. And I remember being being asleep. I had a cold and I was not feeling well, but I could see that my phone was blowing up. So when we answered it, we had what we call a code 13, which means all hands on deck. And so everybody came in. It was a su- early Sunday morning, you know, overnight, Saturday night, early Sunday morning. And we just all, you know, sprung into action. Usually on weekends, we have a very small crew. We don't have it. We're not fully staffed like we are during the week. So uh, we had to all just come together. I mean, everybody just dropped what they were doing and rushed into the station, got our crews out in the field, got the anchors on the air so that we could report to our viewers what was happening and that they had made an arrest. But when we went on the air, that was a good thing that we could report. And is it? turns out, and we'll we'll get into exactly what happened over those horrible hours, seven people, right, targeted and one injured, seven people killed in this shooting, right? There were six people who died, two who were severely wounded, a girl and a young mother, and then the other four was the four women were with the young girl, and then a father and a son were killed at a car dealership. So a total of six who died, two severely wounded. Here alone, five people were killed, including a 14-year-old girl. Behind me, you can see the crime scene tape surrounding the cracker barrel. And police tell me that the victims that were here were shot inside their vehicles at around 10.15 last night here at the cracker barrel. We have no motive whatsoever for this. um, But we're also hampered by the fact that all the persons involved in this who are able to talk or who could have talked, they're dead. And the others are all in critical condition, they're grave condition, and they're in hospitals. So much of that information is just not known at this time. And can you describe, I know this happened in several different areas. Can you describe exactly sort of the the, the landscape of where this happened and how far apart each shooting took place? Sure. Well, it happened in Kalamazoo, Michigan. A newer Uber driver, Jason Dalton, had picked up uh, someone who had called, picked up a gentleman, was fine driving him. All of a sudden, he started speeding and, and, and on a Kalamazoo street. The, the gentleman was going to pick up his car at a friend's house that he left the night before. And so the gentleman is saying, please pull over, pull over, pull over. And Jason Dalton said, I'm not doing, you know, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm not speeding. I'm not driving erratically. So finally, he slowed down enough where the gentleman in the Uber in Jeff, and Jason's, Jason Dalton's car was able to jump out. So from there... Jason Dalton went to another call that he had gotten, an Uber call, and it was in an apartment complex, and he had pulled up to a woman and a group of children who were outside playing, and he had asked the woman, are you so-and-so? And she said, no, I'm not. And so as she turned around, she saw him pull a gun. 
And so she immediately thought of the children. So she threw herself over the children and he just opened fire and she was shot multiple times, but she protected the children. She is severely injured still recovering. She'll never fully recover from her injuries, but that was Tiana Carruthers. And so from there, a lot of things happened because he was on the phone with his family. He, you know, this is all in Kalamazoo. So it's all in that, that this beautiful, nice Midwestern city. And so he had only been driving the Uber for a week. So from there, he went to his parents' house. He talked to his wife um, because the car was, was wrecked when he sideswiped other cars in that first erratic incident. He switched cars, took his parents' car that was not banged up, told his wife that the car was that he was driving, a uh, taxi driver hit him because they didn't like Uber drivers. And so then he went along and, and throughout the evening, he you know picked up fares, dropped them off. And he would, told the police that his Uber app directed him, that it was like the devil. And so his Uber app had directed him. He was going by a car lot and a father and son were there at the car lot late at night looking at trucks because the, the teenager wanted to buy a, a truck. And so they were walking through the parking lot. The teenager's girlfriend was in the car because she was tired and she didn't want to, and cold and didn't want to go outside. So that is when Jason Dalton then pulled up at this car lot and the father and the son were looking at trucks and he opened fire and he killed the father. The father died right away. And then the teenage son also died eventually. But the girl, the girlfriend hid in the car and so she saw what was happening. She didn't have her cell phone. So she ran out when he when he pulled away, the, the teenage girl ran to her boyfriend who was lying there out in the parking lot of the car lot, grabbed his phone and called 911. So that is, you know, throughout the evening they had been getting 911 calls, but they didn't put it together that this is the same person. All these incidents were tied to the same person. So from there, Jason Dalton left the lot and he went to the parking lot of a Cracker Barrel, which is not too far away, uh, along near the highway, where uh, several cars of women who had just come from a show in Kalamazoo were finishing their night, meeting there, so they could all go their separate ways after they had been to the show together. So they were in the parking lot, and then that's when he opened fire on the women, and, and he killed the four women and shot the girl, the 14-year-old, in the head. So this is all in Kalamazoo, Michigan. It's all just within within the city, So and, and this is, over eight hours and then he took off. And so that by now police did not know that all of these shootings were connected yet. And so it was just chaotic because we didn't know if there were multiple shooters, what was going on, how, you know, how did this come about? So finally they started to piece it together from all the 911 calls that they received and they finally pulled Jason Dalton over after midnight and then eventually took him into custody. Now police have 45 year old Jason Dalton in custody and police believe the people of Kalamazoo are safe right now. But the part that was so puzzling to everyone was they, they knew it was random. They, they figured that out, but they didn't know it was the same person doing it. They thought maybe there were multiple shooters. You know, it, it was just maybe, you know, a night for the history books that they had something that this nice city had never experienced. And then as they pieced the 911 calls together, they figured out that it was one man, an Uber driver who says he was directed by his app, who did the crime spree. We hear about so many mass shootings where it's in one place, but 
to have this mobile mass shooter is a term that I think has kind of been used over the years. With someone who's moving around, it's just that much more complicated. It really is. It's complicated, unusual, confusing. People were panicking. The people in the city of Kalamazoo, their Western Michigan University is in Kalamazoo, and so they received texts to just stay on campus. It was chaos, and, and people, it was surreal. People could not believe this was happening in Kalamazoo, Michigan. So you've got a 45-year-old Uber driver, and he's already talking about the app directing him. And so I'm sure questions of competency probably start coming up pretty quickly. But it took quite a while for him to go to trial, right? And a lot of that has to do with competency, but then also evidence, right? And how he gave that evidence in some cases and how police actually gathered some of his statements, right? Well, he was interviewed by both the Kalamazoo police and then the Michigan State Police. And they all said it was just so uncanny that he was so calm. One of the investigators said he'd never interviewed someone accused of such a horrible crime who was so calm. And so he at first didn't remember, and then eventually he would start talking. When he started talking about the Uber app and how that directed him, then that was able to give, you know, the investigators a more clear picture of the state of his mind. Eventually, he was ruled competent to stand trial. And everyone in the community, all the media, we were preparing for a huge trial because, you know, everything that had happened. And so they were about to begin jury selection when he pleaded guilty. Did he ever give any indication of motive beyond what he told police that night? Or was it just absolutely senseless and still is to this day? Absolutely senseless. There was no reason. His wife said that he was acting strangely. His neighbors said, you know, he was a quiet man, but just normal. He was an insurance adjuster. So everyone who knew him were shocked that this is what he did. So he never really gave a reason other than the Uber app and how it directed him. And it changed different colors from black to red. And when, he, when it changed, that's whenever he would act out. And he said when the police pulled him over, he was about to shoot them, but the Uber app changed a different color. And that's why he didn't shoot the police. No other, no other reason, no motive. No one could explain why this would happen. Do you recall, I, I know during the, the lead up, I believe, to what could have been the trial uh, before he, he he sort of said he did this, um, there was an outburst at one of the hearings and he was pulled out of the courtroom. There was sort of a scene one day, right? Yes, he was. And I can see the image in my mind. And he was uh, just, it was kind of like he was like a zombie. He was taken out of the courtroom. You know, these people lost these loved ones who were doing nothing wrong. They were just going about their lives, playing in a in a, an apartment parking lot, looking at a new truck, coming from a show that they had had dinner and this group of friends and, and the 14-year-old girl, the woman she went with, she considered her grandmother. So uh, as you can imagine, People were very emotional. People were very upset. And so after the outburst, yeah, they had to drag him from the courtroom. Is the station, are you still in touch with some of the people involved, families of victims, or you mentioned the, the woman who's, you know, will likely never recover from her injuries? Yes, and, and, you know, it's been very difficult. And some of the family members do not want to talk. And it took a couple of them several years. I know the wife and mother of the teenager and the dad who were killed. Uh, it, it was a while before she would talk. And 
Now what she did was start a foundation as a result, and she also has members, family members and friends of the other victims on her board to raise money to make sure that people are not forgotten, that these victims and other victims of horrendous crimes are not forgotten. So she eventually talked. We've kept up with Abigail Kauf. She is now 19 years old, and it's a miraculous story. Her story is amazing because when they found her, she was shot in the head. She had flatlined at the hospital. None of us thought she was going to survive. And her mother put her head to her chest and could hear a heartbeat. And that's when the mother said, I knew she was going to make it. But it has been such a long recovery. She will never be the same. But she is an incredible young lady and has such a will to live. And even on her social media pages, when it says about me, she says, a fighter, because she fought to live. And the fact that she is alive and she's functioning and she, she looks normal, but it's, it's incredible. And same with her. She's kind of kept a low profile now, but every now and then we check in with her. The families of the four women, um, they talked a little bit, but, you know, the women were older and they were really good friends. So it was just something they just wanted to keep to themselves. Many of those family members are now part of this foundation started by the mother and wife of the teenager and man who died. I've lost the woman I've married for 41 years, and I lost my little sister. Two women whose only goal in life was to take care of children. He killed a person who would have listened to his story and welcomed him. For her to meet her ending moments in this way is unthinkable. Every day I wake up to the reality that two people that I loved more than life itself are gone. I don't and never will understand how or why you could do what you did to them. Our prisons are designed to be for those folks that we are afraid of. And you clearly fall into that category. And he was given life without parole. He's behind bars now. Right, and it was shocking because we were preparing for a trial that was going to be so hard for everyone to have to, to, have to watch and witness and hear and hear the witness testimony and make these people relive what happened. And then out of the blue, right before jury selection started, he entered a guilty plea. And so he was sentenced to life without parole. And that was just a few weeks, uh, less than a month after he entered his guilty plea. And so now he is in prison serving life without parole. All right, Juliet Dragos at WZZM in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Thank you so much for talking to us and remembering some of the details of this terrible event that took place just five years ago in Michigan. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks once again for listening to The Daily Crime. We're here every weekday, Monday through Friday. Check out our full lineup of shows, including Bardstown and The Officer's Wife, at vaultstudios.com. For Vault Studios, I'm Will Johnson. 